Good morning and welcome to the Coffee and Cap Rates podcast, your go-to source for New York City's latest commercial real estate insights. This program is brought to you by Ariel Property Advisors. Hi, everyone. I'm Shimon Shkuri here with my partner, Victor Sozio, and also our senior director, Matthew Swordlow our capital services division. And we're going to talk a little bit about the multifamily market and specifically what happened in the third quarter. What do we anticipate happening moving forward and beyond that? And both Vic and Matt are big players in the city of New York and can give us a lot of insight. So thank you for being here. Thanks for having us. Thanks. So we've seen a real great quarter when it comes to the multifamily asset class. We saw almost $3.6 billion of transactions, which is 37% higher than the same quarter last year, a little bit lower than the second quarter, about 17% lower, but still 32% above the quarterly average when it comes to transactions. One other thing to mention is that Brooklyn did very well, Manhattan did very well, and, and close to 90% of all multifamily transactions took place in the free market subsegment. And Vic, one of the things you and I are talking all the time is about the effect of interest rates and mortgage rates. And in these numbers, it seems like everything went smoothly, although interest rates went up. What's really going on here? How do we explain that phenomenon? Yeah, Shimon, I actually would argue that we have started to see the impacts of these rising interest rates across the board on the product types. But particularly in the multifamily segment. You referenced the numbers in the third quarter multifamily volume and the figures behind it, which were still robust at above $3 billion, but a drop-off from the second quarter. And I think that's just a precursor of what we'll probably see into the fourth quarter and even first quarter of 2023. There are many ongoing situations, contract negotiations that have been revisited with rising interest rates and price renegotiations or price adjustments going on that are substantiated by significant drop-offs in the buyers or the investors' anticipated cash-on-cash return, right? It's a direct correlation. When you have such rapid movement in rates, it's bound to impact the underwriting. I would also say that we're seeing it in the amount of increase that we're getting not only from investors, but from lenders looking at their books and looking at the future, the next one to two years, and starting to try to address their takeout concerns, or are they going to be able to refinance the existing debt? Is there going to be a cash infusion needed in order to do so? So those conversations are definitely ramping up. And then another point I'll make is that, and we talk about this often, Shimon, is that in light of the volatility in the markets and and what's anticipated to stay volatile for the next 12 to 18 or or maybe more months, what we have seen much more often is buyers or owners trying to maintain as much flexibility as they can over the next few years. And it could come in the form of floating rate debt with rate caps and low prepays, but whatever it is that can really get them to a better point where it's a better overall environment to either monetize their asset or recapitalize, whatever the case might be. That's great. And that's very, very insightful. And what you're saying really is, look, the the numbers that we're seeing in Q3 are lagging indicators. We're definitely feeling the effects of interest rates. Some deals are being renegotiated and, and there's a lot of volatility in the market. And Matt, 
One of these items is pricing volatility or underwriting volatility when it comes to debt and debt pricing. And Zik was mentioning also the notion of flexibility and choosing more flexible debt. What do you see in the debt markets today? Thanks, Shimon. To go off of the volatility, when you sign a term sheet with a bank these days, your lender is either going to give you an index and a spread and say, we will lock this at some point closer to closing, at which point you have to track the sum of those two numbers and also understand what are the minimum DSERs and other metrics to size your loan amount. If you're buying a deal with an aggressive cap rate today, you're going to be constrained by the amount of cash flow that asset kicks off. And as rates go up, your proceeds will go down. To counteract this, we've implored all of our clients to hire us on assignments that they're buying much earlier than normal. We would rather show them the breadth of options that are still widely available, I must say. But we want to show them all of the options up front with all of the information as possible so that if they do have to go back and adjust value in some amount, they know by what magnitude they have to, to stand behind that new offer and whether any potential volatility that they might find during underwriting. Yeah, that's great. So, so basically, as an advisor, your role today, our role today is much more meaningful, especially when looking for debt, but also when evaluating a property and going to market to this point about lenders asking for values and lenders wanting us to find some solutions to some of their problem assets. But moving forward, everything is an opportunity. What do we see that's positive, that's moving, that's going to help investors, to help clients, or to help New York City moving forward, let's say through 2023? What are the positives that we're seeing? Matt Rovick. I'll start. I'm always telling my clients on any one deal, we're still presenting up to 12, maybe 15, 16 bona fide, verified, vetted quotes from lenders. The quantity of lenders is still active. There is no lack of credit capital available by any means out there. Now, some lenders have adjusted their underwriting, but they have not left the market. And I think that's a really important takeaway as we go into 2023 to understand that if you do go into contract on a deal with a hard deposit, you will have a lender behind you. We just have to be savvy enough and prudent enough to underwrite this appropriately, like my point previously. On top of this, we're also seeing some creative terms in terms of prepayment penalties. If you look at a forward-looking yield curve today, we do think there's going to be a break in the increase in treasuries sometime around 2024, 5, or 6. I know it's a big range, but allowing a client to acquire a deal today with a very flexible, if no prepayment penalty at all, in those years, it allows them to refinance and lower their cost of capital tremendously at that time, if not pull out some money inside the standard five-year term. Yeah, it's a very dynamic lending market. And one of the things that all of us are seeing, I'm talking about conventional lenders, not just bridge lenders, but conventional lenders that are newcomers to New York City wanting to take a piece of that lending market in the biggest possible way. Again, just talks about the resiliency of uh, New York City and, and its liquidity. And Vic, why don't we talk a little bit about what you're seeing from the equity side and, and in general about opportunities and positivity of, of things that you see for next year? Sure. And I would hate to frame one's misfortunes as a positive, but I will make two points that some will look at and view as opportunities. And they kind of go within the same vein. But one is I do believe that New York 
stakeholders, whether it's owners, tenants, or our legislators, are beginning to see the visible impacts and the negative impacts of some of the prior year's legislation, predominantly HSTPA. And I do think that we have an election coming up, and there seems to be an emerging school of thought that with these visible impacts becoming more prevalent, that there is a chance for some laws to be maybe revisited or new bills to go out there that could address certain areas of needs. You and I, Shimon, have spoken about a bill that's out there right now, Senate Bill 7235, which is a great example, a very pragmatic bill in which it can really serve both tenants and owners in that owners might have the ability to supersede their legal rents by virtue of renting to a tenant-based voucher. And I think that's a great example of a pragmatic piece of legislation that could address some of the issues that were caused by HSTPA or other bills that were passed in prior years. So what I say that all because you can start to make the case that over the next few years, things will continue to trend in that direction and might actually result in positive for our market. In a similar vein or from a similar effect of the HSTPA is that we're seeing much more pressure on rent-stabilized owners that have taking loans prior to that legislation and have pending maturities. Those pending maturities will, in many cases, require more cash from a segment of investors that are almost inherently have less in cash and more in equity in their properties. What I think will be the result of that is that there will be opportunities for what we are putting in a broad term as rescue capital and where groups can come in, especially if they have a familiarity with the market and the product type, they could come in and plug up holes in the capital stack and work openly and pragmatically with the current sponsors and find out economics that makes sense. And I think those can be very lucrative deals for many as they come up more often in the next 12 to 24 months. So between all of these kind of factors, I do think that the next year, let's call it, will be very volatile, but I do think that there'll be gems of opportunity sprinkled within that. That's great. So basically, volatility leads to some mortgage maturities, rescue capital, cash and refinance, possible positive legislation. And one of the other things that I do think you touched on, which is really important, is the amount of liquidity, the capital that's available to invest, which is very, very different than any other downturn we've seen. There's a lot of money out there that is interested in the right deals. And what Matt was saying is that the lenders are out there. In addition, new lenders are here also. So that's the positive. We're expecting an active year in 2023 and a lot of the capital that will solve these issues and problems. So thank you for that, Matt and Zig. And if there's anything else that we want to add prior to finalizing this chat, let me know. But other than that, we're going to say thank you to our listeners. Appreciate it, Shimon. Take care. Thanks. 